you have a Bible, I would invite you to open to Hebrews. We are continuing our series this morning in this book, this letter, this sermonic uh, letter that it is. And we are in chapter 3 this morning, verses 7 through 19. Uh, The plan, Lord willing, is uh, that next week I will be uh, arriving at Levi's Stadium right about now to enjoy a football game. Uh, And so Daniel Flores, who preached uh, a couple months ago, uh, some of you might remember that name. He was a first-time guest speaker, uh, but a good friend of mine. Uh, He'll be back, and he's going to continue into Hebrews 4. And so we will get him ready by looking at Hebrews 3, verses 7 to 19. I'll be reading, and you can follow along. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked that with that generation and I said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Well, just as a quick word of review, we uh, have been moving our way through this this sermonic letter, trying to be faithful to the big picture, but not uh, take on too much at once. And uh, last week we were in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. If you just glance up in your Bible there, I want you to see the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, the word therefore. That's, that's an important word. Always should bring across your mind the question, what is therefore? Therefore, and it usually means something that was preceding, uh, is, is a connection, a, a result, or, or some kind of a thing. So, the end of chapter 2, a few weeks ago, we noted that uh, Jesus, the Son, our, our brother, all these different ways uh, that the author has been conveying who Jesus is, uh, he is greater than angels, and uh, he is the one who is bringing many sons and glory, sons and daughters to glory. He's got this great salvation. Um, and, and because of all that, because he has made propitiation for the sins of the people, he's defeated uh, the devil and, and the sting of death, all these amazing things, right? He's been just exalting Jesus, exalting the son, showing how much greater he is than anyone and anything. Therefore, chapter three, verse one, 
He says, you who share in this heavenly calling, and we looked at that, that text last week, and we saw that Jesus, again, what else is he? Well, he's the apostle, that means sent one from the Father, so God sent the Son, but he's also the high priest who represents us back to God. He's the perfect God-man, the only one who can perfectly be both apostle, high priest, represent us, and he does have uh, this glory, in fact, more glory than Moses. And of course, God's people loved Moses. Um, I, I was talking last week about, you know, if they had had action figures back in those days, uh, kids would have had Moses action figures. And they, they may have had some that they made. I don't think plastic out of China was built yet in those days, but they may have figured it out. And, and, and Moses would have been one of their heroes, and he, he still is in a lot of respects for God's people. So after last week's message, my wife reminded me, you should have brought your Jesus action figure, because I actually do have uh, a couple of those. Um, one's a glide on water action figure, this, anyway, and then a bobblehead. Uh, some, some in... Some brothers and sisters might find that um, a violation of the second commandment. So we, we, uh, we'll be careful with that. But, but, but Moses is great, and, and he's worth a lot of honor and glory we saw last week. He, he was used, and he was in the house, but, but, but uh, the writer says Jesus is more glorious than Moses in the same way that a son is greater than a servant. And, and Moses was a servant. He's called God's servant throughout the Bible from the beginning to end. Moses, the servant of God. That's not a dig. We, we don't typically probably like the idea of being called servants, but um, it wasn't a dig for Moses to be a servant of God. But Jesus, the son, has more honor as, as a son does in, in God's house. And then the other analogy was Jesus is greater because uh, Moses, um, you know, was, was used, but but Jesus is the builder of all things. And so the analogy is that, that a, a building may have honor, but, but the designer gets more honor. And I mentioned uh, the Marin Civic Center and how that's a glorious building, but, uh, but Wright should get more glory as the one who designed that. So there's been this, this good comparison. Uh, Moses is good, but Jesus is greater. And, and Moses is a good example. It's worth uh, seeing all of that. But now, now there's going to be this shift. And we come this morning to what's called a warning passage. So scholars of the book of Hebrews point out that there's at least five, sometimes they count six, distinct markers in this book, this sermonic letter, where there's a warning given to the audience. Uh, We saw one back in chapter two, so several weeks back. We had this warning not to drift from or neglect Jesus and his salvation. So after all of chapter 1 and after all that glorious talk of Jesus being greater than angels, the writer issued warning one, don't drift from or neglect Jesus and his salvation. Well, now as we move into the second part of chapter 3 this morning, after again looking at last week Moses and, and Jesus being greater, we finally have that word therefore again at verse 7. And, and essentially this is a warning. This is a warning against, kind of generically put, unbelief. And I've, I've talked about this recently, just in, in like snippet form. There's a difference between unbelief, like we're going to look at this morning, this, this warning against unbelief, and that's different than having doubts and questions. Uh, as, as humans, God's given us a mind and we, we ought to, in life, have questions about things. This morning, I was at a stoplight for well over three minutes, and no one was around going the other directions. And I had serious questions about who runs our city lights. 
I happen to know the guy, so I can, I can joke. He, he lives near me, and I'll talk to him about that, that intersection. But, right, we, we're, we're built that way that we, we question things, we wonder things, we ask questions. And even our belief in God, our, our faith, is not meant to be what, what a lot of unbelievers think of that it is, that it's blind faith, that, that we just, you know, believe and take these big steps uh, of, of faith. Our, our faith is rational. It's reasonable, and God has set it up that way. And in fact, if you have questions about that, if you actually wonder, really, is Christianity, is the belief that someone died and rose on the third day like we sang about reasonable? Is there evidence for it? We, I'd love to talk to you because it is. There's, there is reasonable evidence for, for all of it, for God, for Jesus, especially in Christianity in particular. So having questions, having doubts, isn't bad. We're wired to, to ask things and to want to prove things and have evidence. That's different than, than having a posture, a heart of unbelief, where you just won't believe. And hopefully we, we can look at that a bit more in our text this morning. It's a warning, as I said, against unbelief. And what I want to do is pose it as a question. How do we battle unbelief? How do we fight this unbelief? I mean, that, that's the warning that comes across. Verse 12, take care, look, look out, watch out, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. How do we battle that type of unbelief? And the answer, I think, is found in our text in, in Several nuances, but I want it to be found in, in the three commands that, that kind of jump out grammatically in, in the passage. Number one, verse 12, watch out. We, we, we are on the lookout for unbelief. Number two, by encouraging one another. We're going to see that. And then number three, by listening to God. How do we fight? How do we do battle against unbelief? By watching out, by encouraging one another, and by listening to God. So let's look at that first one. By watching out. So verse uh, 7 again of Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. Now I'm going to come back to that phrase in a moment. But what the writer's been doing, you're ready for me to say this. If you've been tracking, he, he's got another Old Testament quote for us. He, he has been putting forward these quotations from the Hebrew scriptures to prove his point. He wants us to know now, some 2,000 years later, God does, and the writer then wanted his audience to know at that point that what he's doing in his exalting of Jesus and now in his exhortations and in this warning, it's all built on something found in the Hebrew scriptures, what we call our Old Testament. So again, that little lead-in, as the Holy Spirit says, I'll come back to that. But what he does now is quote Psalm 95. And we're going to see Psalm 95 a bunch of times today, but also it'll be next week as well when Daniel shares. So Psalm, this is actually easy to remember. Hebrews 3, 7 to 11 is a quote from Psalm 95, 7 through 11. Okay, and Psalm 95 was where we started this morning with our call to worship. And it's such a fascinating psalm. I, I just... Loved how we could, uh, in one breath, sing or, or read rather about coming and singing to the Lord, making a joyful noise. He's great. 
uh, in his hand are the, is the earth and the sea, and then, O come, let us worship and bow down. He's our God. We're his people, uh, the sheep of his hand. And then today, if you hear his voice, and there's the warning right in Psalm 95 that our writer here in Hebrews 3 quotes. So let me reread now verses 7 through 11 of Hebrews 3, which is, in fact, a quote of Psalm 95, 7 to 11. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So in this passage here from Psalm 95, God is warning the reader not to make the same mistakes that the people of God made in that wilderness generation, the people of Israel. Now, it's worth noting they they haven't made it. He doesn't say to them, you did this like them. He's saying, therefore, because Jesus is greater than Moses, because he's uh, the apostle and high priest of our confession, and he's, again, bringing sons and daughters to glory, he's got this great salvation, therefore... Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, like don't be like that generation. Don't be like the Israelites. In fact, most of that generation, they, they failed to enter the promised land. And maybe you know the story. Maybe if you've grown up in church, you, you kind of know what, what took place. So God miraculously rescued his people from Egypt. They were slaves and he led them out. Of course, he used Moses. And again, this is why Moses is in our kind of context, right? He's just talked about Moses, and he's remembering that, yeah, God used Moses, and there's this great deliverance from, from the, the Egyptians. There were the plagues, and then, and then eventually, of course, the parting of the sea, and God rescued them, and the Israelites get onto dry land, and then God brings the water back and, and drowns the Egyptians, and now they're free, and they are on their way to the promised land. It's interesting. If they had gone directly to the promised land, uh, they could have been there probably in a matter of like a day or two. Uh, it's not very far, but God needed them to go into the wilderness. Of course, they were going to get the law, and God was going to reveal himself. But even so, it should have been a relatively short journey into the promised land, this land that God had for his people. Uh, sometimes we summarize it, and scriptures call it a land flowing with milk and honey. Isn't it funny if you think about that literally as a kid? Like I remember talking with, with one of my kids once about that, that no, they're, you know, it's not like fountains of milk all over the place, you know, kind of a thing, but just a way to describe a land that was full of God's goodness, full of Milk and honey, metaphorically speaking, a good land, a promised land. But most of that generation never made it, right? Um, you, again, you, many of you might know the story. It kind of reaches its climax in the book of Numbers, chapter 14. The unbelief, this, this warning against unbelief that the writer here says took place, uh, is spoken of there. So they, they get to the edge of the promised land, and there are spies that get to go into the land, and they're supposed to check it out and come back with a report. And they came back saying, it's a great land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But most of the spies said, but there's these giants. I mean, they over-exaggerated the people there. They, they, they minimized who God was and is and all that he had done. And they bring back this report of 
unbelief. So Numbers 14, verses 28 and 30, God says, What you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Mike Kruger, who I've uh, been referencing and quoting several in each of the messages, I think, he notes this, that now in Hebrews 3, 16 to 19, the text kind of at the end, uh, after quoting Psalm 95, when the writer of the Hebrews kind of picks it up, the writer summarizes that well-known story by rehearsing all of the reasons why the Israelites failed to enter the promised land. Verse 16, they heard and yet rebelled. They sinned, verse 17. They were disobedient, verse 18. And they exhibited unbelief, verse 19. And so with that story as the backdrop, background, verse 12 comes kind of the warning for the whole passage. But again, our first point this morning, watch out. This is how it's said in the ESV. Take care, literally. Like look, but like it's it's the idea of like look, but look out, like watch out. Brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Basically saying that's what happened to the Israelites. They were evil. They were unbelieving. And what happens if if you have an evil and unbelieving heart? It leads you to fall away from the living God. Look back up at verse... 6 of chapter 3. We were there last week, but I want to just draw your attention to some of the same wording. I shall start at verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So there's that analogy. Jesus is greater because he's like a son being greater than a servant. And we... God's people, God's sons and daughters, Christians, we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. I talked a little last week about that phrase, if indeed, and that condition. And for a lot of us, right away, our eyes get big and we wonder, oh, so if, does that mean maybe if, if I don't, you know, am I, might I lose my salvation? Can I, you know, what's happening Right? We, we talk a little bit about that, and I told you it was going to come more this week. So there's similar wording. Look down again in verse 12. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And then if you jump on ahead. Verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So if, and you know, we, we are God's house, if we, 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 we've come to share in Christ, if, we're, we're going to talk a bit more about this whole idea of perseverance here in just a moment. But for now, 
Listen to the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. This is written to a church, to Christians. He says there, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Similar sounding thing, right? You, don't you realize Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail? Kind of like, if indeed, but, but at the front end there, he says, examine yourselves. We need to hear this, church. And again, this isn't meant to cause people to doubt, and I'll, again, I'll come back to that, but we need to hear this warning, this warning against unbelief. And that first way to ask, am I battling unbelief is, am I watching out? Am, am I examining myself? Am I taking care with my Christian life? I, I use this silly illustration all the time, but being a Christian is not, is not about having a ticket to heaven. As if at some point in your past, you prayed a prayer and, and that gave you a little ticket and now... You can just live life however you want, and then at the end of life, oh, I've got my ticket. Now, that, that's being real kind of brief, but a lot of people think that. They think, I prayed a prayer, I went to Sunday school, I went to vacation Bible school, I did, I did, I did, I said something, I've got a ticket, and that's all I need. And that is not how the Bible speaks of following Jesus. We are literally to follow him. Now, he's not walking around 2,000 years later, but in heaven as our risen and exalted Lord, he speaks to us in his word, and, and we follow him by, by hearing from God in his word and obeying him, and, and that all flows from a work God does. When God saves us, when God regenerates us, oh, we do pray and believe and confess our sin, and he changes us. And like I joked last week, we aren't made perfect Right away, it takes a lifetime, but positionally now, we're brought from death to life, from darkness to light. We're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 says. Behold, old things have passed, new things have come. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. We talked about that on Reformation Day, right? That glorious alien righteousness, that righteousness from the outside that's imputed to us. And we are new in Christ, so we are a new creature if it's happened, and now we're walking, following him, and we're prone to wander, Lord, we feel it and we do it, and we repent, and we confess, and we get back on path, and that's the Christian life. And, and the Christian life is also about examining yourself, watching out. Or the way Jesus put it, there was seed scattered, and some seed was scattered and, and and it's a picture of the word of God going out. And before it can do anything, right, birds come and take it. And Jesus says, that's, that's the enemy, Satan, taking the word away before people can believe. We ought to pray against that happening when we gather, when we read the scriptures, when we talk to people. God, don't let the enemy take the word. But then Jesus goes on. And before he gets to the good soil, the, the soil that is a picture of a good heart where the seed goes in and, and it, the, the roots go deep in this, this great plant grows and blooms, and it's a picture of, of the Word of God going in and transforming us. And again, we, we start to follow Him and grow. There's two other pictures of seed going into dirt just a little bit, and, and different things happen, Jesus says. The, the cares of this world come, and, and they choke out that, that plant, and it doesn't actually do much than it give a little 
little hint of life. Or seed goes in and, and so it's like the sun scorching it, right? There, there wasn't enough depth of soil. Or some seed goes in and there's other things that choke it out. And, and it appears to, to, to be worth something, but, but those other things choke it out. And, and Jesus is making the analogy that not all people's hearts, soil, produces that, that fourth result. So people that we know, people in our churches, couldn't appear to believe but, but they might not. And we have to guard against our own judgments. God is the one who knows. God is the one who can see, right? I mentioned when we were sharing thankful things of his sovereignty, right? He knows uh, what's going on. All we can do is make a grace-filled, humble judgment, not a judgmental, critical assessment, but we can just see people's lives. And growing up in youth group, some of you maybe have the experience, there were a lot of people who we, we believed and we sang songs and we went to camp in Mexico and we served and, you know, we said, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, forever kind of things. And a lot of those people aren't anymore. So only God knows if, in fact, they're in a season of struggle, hurt, and, and they'll be brought back and we ought to pray and that's God's business to do. Or if, like this warning here, we ought to hear and think of this truth that where God says, watch out, take care. Brothers and sisters, those that are, that are in, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart. And again, he's pulling from Psalm 95, which is pulling from the Israelites. I know it seems, you know, a little stronger language than we might think of, but he says, leading you to fall away from the living God. In other words, and I'm jumping, but I don't think this is cause for Christians, those who are born again, death to life, darkness to light, to fear that you could fall away. But it's a warning that we need to hear and we need to examine ourselves. Are we in the faith? Am I following? Again, not to earn, but because of all God has done, I'm, I'm, I'm following daily, daily, right? Daily, hourly sometimes. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's why I chose that song this morning. We all know that by experience. Take care. That's the first way we fight Unbelief is by looking and, and asking, oh, am, I, am I in? Like, really, am I watching out so that there isn't an unbelieving heart in me? Because even, even now, I'm, I'm pretty convinced if God takes me home to be with him today, I'm going to be absent from the body and present with him. I'm not convinced of that because of anything I've done, but from what he has done, and because I've been following him, and I believe his word is true that, He's going to keep me in him no matter what happens. But that's all his doing. But I need, too, to say, okay, wow, I, I, am I taking care? Am I, as Paul said, examining myself? So that's, that's number one. We need to watch out for unbelief in our hearts that might lead us to fall away. And just think, too, before we move on, think what that could do in a church, what it should do. That, that ca- could cause some people who really aren't saved, who maybe thought they were, to go, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm, 
I'm a step away from unbelief. I'm, I'm a step away from just apostasy. That's kind of the big word historians and, and church history has used. I'm, I'm right there. And I don't want to be an apostate. I don't want to be lost. No, I'm going to repent. And maybe God would call someone, in fact, to him for the first time. So that's, that's what this does in a church. But number two, number two, not only are we to watch out, but we're to encourage one another. So 13, verse 13. But exhort, that means encourage, one another every day, as long as it is called today. I love that. And again, pulling from Psalm 95. Why are we to encourage everyone every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Part of what in today's service we were doing by sharing words of thankfulness is to model what we need to do to one another. We need to not only speak to one another about, I'm so thankful to God for family and church and healing and the different things, right, that we all shared, his sovereignty, his salvation. We, We need to encourage one another with those things. We need to speak to one another every day, as long as it is called today. And I'm pretty sure today is still called today. We need to encourage one another. We need one another. And a couple of you said that in the thankfulness sharing moments. You're thankful for the church body, the church family. You're thankful to be back uh, and, and to have this. This is good. And part of being this is that we encourage one another, that we remind one another who God is, what he's done. We, we come to the scriptures. And I mean, just we could go back even into Hebrews 1 and 2. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. If you're struggling, thinking, life is out of control, I just feel helpless, does any of it matter, is anything happening? Yes, God has not forgotten. He's holding it all. You may be struggling, and it may not seem like it, but I need to be encouraged by that, and maybe you need to be encouraged by that. One writer says, the author's conviction is that this psalm, so Psalm 95, directly addresses the Christian congregation, and it's found in this phrase, as long as it is called today. There's relevance to speaking God's word to one another. I hope you're doing that in your families. I hope you're doing that with your friends, within this body and and elsewhere. And then verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ. Notice again the language, and we won't get into the two nuts and bolts of it, but, but that speaks of Christians. We have. It's, it's done. If you're, a, if you're a Christian, we have come to share in Christ. But then there's the warning. If indeed, right, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So again, this speaks of the perseverance The perseverance of the saints is how theologians call it. We believe that we will persevere. God will see to it that those whom he has saved will persevere. But that doesn't mean we just float along. No, we persevere. So again, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. Pray. Open God's word and hear from God. Gather with God's people to sing and to 
respond to the word of God, serve in, in the church and serve in, in the community and, and on and on it goes. We have come to share if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Just another word on perseverance. I love this, this little quote from John Piper. He says, perseverance, it's a condition for being, not a condition for becoming. So we persevere, not to become, but it's who we are, to be. I like that idea. Perseverance, one writer says, does not gain salvation, but it demonstrates the reality of true salvation. We persevere not because we're trying to prove to God that we are serious or sincere, but because of what he has already done. I read this week of this, this illustration of Houdini. talked last week about uh, Philippe Petit and walking the tightrope. Well, here's an illustration from the great Houdini over 100 years ago. I always forget that he lived like that long ago. So on March 10, 1904, the great escape artist Houdini was challenged to a contest by a, a magazine out of London called The Illustrated Mirror. The paper dared the showman to escape from a complex form of handcuffs with six locks on each cuff, nine tumblers on each lock. The performer took the challenge with thousands gathered at the London Hippodrome to see if he could escape these new bonds. Having been handcuffed securely, Houdini ducked down into a box to struggle out of sight of the crowd. After about 20 minutes, the entertainer popped up out of the box. The gathering roared approval, but then suddenly quieted as they realized the cuffs were still in place. Houdini smiled, asked for more light, and went back into the box. Fifteen minutes passed, and once again the escape artist appeared. Again the crowd cheered enthusiastically. Houdini smiled, saying he just needed to flex his knees. Down he went. After about 20 minutes, he came up again, taking a pocket knife from his vest and holding it in his teeth. Houdini then slashed his coat to ribbons, freeing himself of the hot and heavy garment, and then he jumped back into the box. The crowd cheered him on. This time, he only stayed in the box for 10 minutes and then emerged a free man holding the cuffs in his hands. The crowd gave an extended ovation for the master of escape. Later, a reporter asked Houdini why he kept popping up out of the box when he was not yet free. Hear this. He replied, he needed to hear the encouragement of the crowd. Let us encourage one another. And notice why, while today is called today, but then look at the end of that verse. So that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If if I'm going to persevere, part of what God's going to use is you all encouraging me. I need to hear your encouragement. Keep going, Paul. Don't give up. God's got you. God's got this. I'm praying for you. Here's a word. I need that. But we need to do that. It's a mutual thing. It's a mutual thing. 
So if we're going to battle unbelief, we have, to, we have to watch out for it. We have to encourage one another and be encouraged by one another. Who, who will you encourage today? Don't, don't answer out loud, but just in your mind, who is the Holy Spirit nudging you to encourage today? Okay, number three then, finally. We need to watch out, we need to encourage one another, and then we need to listen to God. So verses 15 to 17, the writer says, As it is said, and here he once again quotes Psalm 95, verse 17, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Sorry, verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, that's the speaking of God's voice. That's speaking of, of God. And then he goes on to say, who were those who heard from God and yet rebelled? It was all of them that left Egypt. With whom was he provoked for 40 years? It was all who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness. So today, if you hear his voice. I mentioned I was going to draw your attention back to verse 7. So look right at the top. Right as he begins this quote from Psalm 95, look how he puts it. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, that's not just throw away words. The writer to the Hebrews is saying the Holy Spirit moved the psalmist to write what he wrote in Psalm 95. Who wrote the Bible? Yes, humans wrote, but they were inspired. Not, again, like Stephen Curry inspires us by how he plays, and he's inspiring us this year. No, biblical inspiration means God breathed. It means God supernaturally moved people in their own context, with their own temperaments to write. And the Holy Spirit said in Psalm 95, it's God speaking. We need to hear God speak. We need to hear God, we need to listen to God. If you're going to fight unbelief, if you're going to watch out against an evil, unbelieving heart and, and encourage one another, don't neglect to listen to God, that third thing, if you hear his voice. And, and let me just say, you've heard his voice today. Not in my words, but in these words, in the words in our songs that come from the text. Listen to God. Will you hear his voice today? The Christian Life Church is a fight of faith. It is persevering through trials and difficulties. No, no Christian has an easy life. They don't. Our Lord Jesus didn't have an easy life. The apostles didn't have an easy life. Church history has shown that people that follow God are not given you know, health and wealth. Some people have it easier than others, and there's a spectrum I know, but, but we know by experience life is hard, but God is good, God is faithful, and there's so many things wanting us to disbelieve and, and lead us astray, but we're called to persevere, and the way we will fight it is by watching out, being aware, examining, asking questions, going to people saying, I'm, I'm struggling, will you help me, will you pray for me, can I talk to you? You will fight unbelief by encouraging one another and receiving encouragement, and you will fight unbelief by hearing from God. In church Sunday context, in your own time with God, in many, many ways, we need to watch out, we need to encourage and be encouraged, and we need to hear. Please stand as I pray and offer our benediction.
So Father, as we sang a few minutes ago, we are prone to wander. We feel it, we know it, and you know it too. But we want to persevere, and we want to be a people that persevere. So may we watch out for unbelief, and may we slay sin and and plead for your grace and mercy and help. Thank you that you give it. May we encourage one another and, and receive encouragement. And may we listen to you. Thank you that you will keep us because we're already in if indeed you've saved us. And we will persevere to the end by grace and grace alone. Just as we were saved by grace, we will persevere by grace. And we thank you for that. But help us. Help us hear these warnings too. They're in your word. And now, we give you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before you indulge in a donut and coffee, come back at two for the memorial service. And now, may the Lord bless you, church, and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You're dismissed.